It's a two-episode week this week, and the first half's full of a damn good interview, so you won't want to miss it here on the Indie Ball Report podcast. Yeah, right back again. Another episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast, part one of two this week. It'll only be I doing the commentary this week, so circumstances demand that, and that will also be the case for the interview you'll hear in just a matter of moments. But uh, I figure before we jump, or before I jump right into showing you the interview, it's important to preface a little bit of stuff and give you a little bit of an overview for the week. For those that are new here, my name's Nick, by the way. I normally have a co-host, James, but he's not here at the moment. Something came up, he had to handle that. Regardless, we finally get back to our interviews. We have Dennis Pelfrey, former manager of the Florence Freedom, current manager of the High A San Jose Giants, San Francisco Giant affiliate, obviously. Did a nice interview with him. It goes on for about an hour. It's a very good interview, in my opinion. At least he gave a lot of really good information, and uh, personally, I can't say enough positive things about the guy. He used to be a high school teacher, and that definitely shows in the way he answers the questions and he the way he handles himself. It's very well. The dude's extremely nice, very knowledgeable about the game of baseball, and overall just a great guy. And uh, Like I say, I can't say enough positive things about the guy here, and I really hope you enjoy the interview you are about to hear. So I just want to get that out of the way first uh we cover a whole variety of things but i think the main focus of the interview is talking about what it's like managing in independent league baseball and what you have to do to be successful in independent league baseball which seems to be a general theme throughout all of the interviews that we do here it really shows you various elements of what goes into putting on the product that us fans and media types enjoy watching every night in and out and I really think uh, Pelfrey does a tremendous job uh, of doing that in this interview so I really do hope you guys enjoy that Uh, I'll turn it over to that now and then uh, on the other side of it normally we'd have a discussion about the interview but being that it's only myself here it seems like that'd be a little bit of a hollow interview so we'll tack that on to part two as well as all the various topics which I will again give you a rundown of once we get through the interview so without further ado i give you the current manager of the san jose giants the former manager of the florence freedom of the frontier league and all-around great guy dennis pelfrey all right we are back now and we have another guest on the show a guy that our Frontier League fans may be fairly familiar with. He is now with the San Jose Giants, San Francisco Giants affiliate, as you could guess. But he is the former manager of the Florence Freedom, Dennis Pelfrey. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me. Thanks a lot. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you on. I'm, I'm sorry that it couldn't be both of us doing the interview, but uh, I was the only one available. So I said, we got to get you on. And so I'll uh, take care of doing it. So just happy to have <laughs> yeah. you here. Yeah, it'll be all right. It'll be good, I'm sure. Yep. So I kind of wanted to get things going here by just talking a little bit about kind of your experience coaching and kind of how you got into coaching in general, because I was doing some research before the interview and whatnot, and I've seen that you've been coaching for a pretty long time, or a fairly long time at least, and I was just kind of curious how you got into that and the whole story behind that. Yeah, so 
you know, it kind of started with me playing, um, you know, out of college, I went straight into independent ball, played uh, six years and, you know, three and a half of those years were with uh, Greg Taggart, um, who's now, you know, the manager for the Gary South Shore Railcats. You know, obviously he thought highly of me as a player at the time. And, uh, you know, when I finished playing, I uh, went into the construction business for a little bit and started coaching high school baseball. And then Greg Taggart reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested in being a hitting coach uh, on his staff. And, you know, I immediately said yes. Not that the high school baseball thing wasn't wasn't great and, you know, I enjoyed doing what I was doing. But, you know, I always felt like where I was at, I was I was kind of maxed out and I was trying to do do more. And obviously I wanted to be back in pro baseball. So he offered me the job. And basically what I told him was, you know, I'll give him five years of my time. And, you know, if I'm not a an independent manager at the end of that time then or before, then I'm just going to, you know, go back to being a high school coach. And that's kind of my calling. So. Going into my fifth year with Greg, um, right before the season, I guess in December was when uh, Florence' job opened up and uh, got offered the job on the spot. And at the time, it was interesting as I was actually up for the Sioux Falls job. Um, okay. Myself and Chris Patterson at the time, it was we were the two finalists, and uh, I got offered the job in Florence. And um, so I called Sioux Falls because that's the job that honestly that I really wanted. Yeah. And uh, I, kn- I didn't really know much about Florence at the time, but I knew about Sioux Falls and it was a place, place where I really wanted to be. And um, but I called him up and said, you know, hey, I got this job offer and I was curious if you guys can make a decision, you know, soon. I'm not at- telling you to give it to me or anything like that, but they said they were going to wait a little bit. So just like I would tell a player when I was signing a player, if a contract's on the table, you know, you got to take it regardless if it's, you know, where you want to be. So I uh, withdrew my name from Sioux Falls and took the job in Florence and then, um, you know, spent five years there in Florence. And, uh, you know, for me, it was uh, uh, couldn't have been a better decision for me. Yeah, no, it's always better to take what you know for certain. And while I'm sure Sioux Falls would have been a little bit higher of a prestige just based off a league, not anything against Florence, but the Frontier League does have a cap as a that's a bit lower, I should say, than uh, an American Association, but obviously it worked out very well in Florence. Yeah, I mean, I think it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I played in the Frontier League and coached in the American Association, and now having coached in the Frontier League for five years, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference. I mean, I think the prestige of the league is. I don't want to say that it's false because I think the American Association is great, but I think the Frontier League is just as good. Um, it's a, it's a different kind of atmosphere and a different uh, a different animal, but I think the competition uh, talent level is virtually the same. The difference being, you know, the American Association has more mature players, you know, more veteran type guys. But at the end of the day, that probably does win more games. But you know, as you saw last year in the All-Star game, we went over and played the K&M League. And, you know, our Frontier League talent was obviously that night we were better and, uh, you know, than an older type league. And I think that the Frontier League, the the best part about it is those players are, to me, more hungry, um, willing to, to, to learn and be open about development, you know, which independent baseball, let's be honest, is not about really developing for most teams, but in Florence, we did a pretty good job, I think, of blending that development along with, hey, we're looking to win, too, because my, my thing at the end of the day was, you know, I want to win a championship, but I also want to make sure that if any player got picked up out of our organization, they were prepared, you know, more so than anybody else to go to the affiliated ball and stick. 
Yeah, that seems to be the general trend talking to everybody that we keep seeing is that an affiliated baseball, it's about getting guys onto that next level, but more than developing them as a player, it's about developing them as a professional to say, you need to have this mentality, you need to know how to work right. And I think what I found interesting here is that the skill level between American and Frontier isn't as large of a gap as some would consider. And I think maybe that in people's minds, they think, oh, well, Americans that much higher than Frontier, just because you see fairly often a lot of American guys go to the Atlantic League and the Atlantic League guys go to the American Association and just see that kind of jump over. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, saying this obviously is a straight opinion and a straight, you know, confidence type thing. But over the last three years in Florence, I mean, we were you know, nobody was better than us as far as total wins in the last three years in the Frontier League. And I would take any one of those clubs and um, be happy to go up against any team in the American Association. I feel like we have a good chance of winning any series, you know. So I think that the, the talent, like you said, is is a lot closer than people think. The, the only difference to me, like, is, is, like I said, the maturity and the, you know, the ability the ability to not let an ego get in the way of, of performance. I think that's that's the biggest one. Yeah, because a lot of the guys that are playing in that Frontier League, that most for affiliate experience is kind of like a double-A type player in most times. But with the American Association and especially Atlantic League type, you have a lot of former triple-A guys, former major leaguers in some cases. So would it be kind of just like these guys are used to being kind of in a higher level situation. So now that they're not in that same way, they're kind of, I don't want to say shocked by it but they are they expected something better yeah yeah exactly and that and that has an effect on guys i mean from a mentality standpoint not to say that they're not a good player by any means but when you have a guy that's that really hasn't had the taste of affiliated ball that really wants it you know it's, it's a much different animal when they're in the box um or on the field each night because you know they're, they're actually playing for something that they don't really know what it is where the triple a double a type guy knows what it is and knows what it takes to be there and is going to do, you know, those, those things to kind of stick and, and maybe get another shot, you know, but the younger guy really doesn't know. So it's always been engraved in him as a kid to, you know, play, play hard every single day, run everything out, those things. And you, so you see more of that in the frontier league. And I think that's what, you know, that's what gave us an edge in the all-star game last year. I think going up against the Can-Am league, which is a similar league to the American association, as far as, you know, the age limits and things yeah. like that. So. Yeah. Well, when I went, actually me and my girls were actually at that game and we were watching it and we were like amazed that there was just like that much of a difference that night. Cause we had spent a lot of time watching a lot of these Can-Am guys that were on there. I mean, obviously there's only about six teams there. So we'd seen a good bit of each team. And then when we looked at the end of the night and we saw the score, we were like, wow, that's the difference here is real noticeable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it was, it was a statement that, you know, not only us as a coaching staff, we were, you know, I was very humbled to be asked to coach in that thing and, and, you know, brought a couple of my guys from my staff over. So we were excited about it, obviously. And, you know, we want to win every game, not just the all-star games, but the players, you know, when we talked to the players before the game about the expectation and, and, you know, of coming out and showing, giving our best effort and showing, you know, that we can compete with these guys and the stigma of the frontier league, you know, is what it is. Like you said, it, we're, you know, we were ranked lower than the Can-Am league and the American association and the Atlantic league, as far as talent and those things. And we were able to get on the stage, you know, in that Northeast, a big stage up in Rockland and, and really showcase what we were able to do. And those players, uh, they really bought into that and they wanted to, they wanted everybody to know, not just the scouts and the stands and 
the fans, but they wanted the team in that other dugout to know that, you know, we were here to play and we we're just as good. You know, it definitely showed there. Uh, one of the things I am kind of curious to know is being a manager in independent league is awfully, it's got to be an awful lot different from being a manager in affiliated baseball or from what people would traditionally think a job of a manager is. I was just kind of wondering if you could kind of walk us through what like an average day would be like managing an indie ball team. Yeah, so the average day is getting up around, I don't know, for me, around 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, <clears throat> um, you know, getting on the computer, checking the latest release lists for every major league club, every independent club, you know, checking players that I have, you know, marked as guys that could be guys for us down the road from the Pecos League or the Pacific Association, um, guys in our league that, you know, we're looking to possibly trade for, um, just checking all those things for about, you know, an hour and a half or so in the morning and then going for a little bit of a run to think about some of those things that I, that I saw. So I usually try to jog for 30, 45 minutes and just kind of think about some of those moves we're going to make and some of those players and kind of go over the numbers that I just went through and, and, and those things so that, you know, gets me to about lunchtime. And then, um, you know, then we, from lunchtime, obviously eat and, and, uh, either make a visit to the front office or speak with the general manager of the club and kind of get an idea of what's going to happen that night for the the promotions that are going on at the stadium, what players we're going to need to sign autographs. And, um, you know, we, in Florence, we did a good job of, of having the, the players mingle with the fans before the game as they're coming in the gate in full uniform. So we had to get all those things squared away. And, you know, if you could imagine like the the manager of an independent club for most independent teams, is like the general manager. You have to make all these moving parts work throughout the day um, and have them organized and ready to go, or it's going to be an absolute nightmare during the game. Um, so you have to have all that stuff kind of prepared and planned out uh, before batting practice even starts. So, um, and then when batting practice starts, obviously the schedule for the day, you know, in Florence, we always had a three day schedule up. So it was today's schedule and then the next two, two days. So they know what time they had to be at the field the next day, um, or bus trip or, you know, when the bus is leaving those things. So all those things, um, you know, would come into play. And then on, on the occasion when we had to, you know, either sign a guy, release a guy, um, we always did the releases after the games. Yeah. So that was a little bit more difficult, you know, try to do it. So most of the players are gone by the time we do it. So it's not kind of embarrassing for the guy, but then we have another guy either coming in that same day to work out and be ready to go or the day after. So having to, um, you know, some other things we had to coordinate with host families, make sure that, you know, when he was going to be in town and if he had a place to stay that night, I had to make sure all that was happening before the guy even came. So all these moving pieces. So what, what a lot of people don't understand is if a guy is getting released on a Tuesday night, the decision wasn't made Tuesday during the game, right? Yeah. It was made two or three days prior and, you know, having to fill that role with somebody else, you know, so a release of a player is really like a four to five day, you know, event with all these other things going on that, you know, revolve around not only the game part of it, but the host families and the travel and all this other, all these other things. Exactly. I mean, being a manager is half being a, a manager, as most people think, and the other half is being basically a team president. 
making the yeah. ship run right. And I, I do like that you brought up the player release thing because it is kind of odd that people think, oh, he had a bad game, he needs to be gone. It's not that easy to cut somebody. I mean, it's easy right. for a fan to say, oh, get rid of him. But when you're around the guy all the time, you brought him in here, you know the circumstances that he had to leave and then walk into, it's a lot harder to then call someone in and cut them to their face than it is to just be shouting that from the bleachers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's one, you, you create such a good relationship with the players and I've had to cut some and release some guys that, that are very, very close to me and, and I think very highly of, um, you know, over the years, but there were decisions based upon what's best for the team. And then, you know, when you're talking about a guy going over four with four strikeouts, thinking he needs to be released, but you know, it's easy to say, but where is the guy that's going to fill that role? And, you know, is the guy you bring in his first game, maybe he's nervous and he goes over four with four strikeouts and then you want him released too. So what the average fan doesn't realize is we're only allowed a certain number of moves throughout the year. And so those moves have to be calculated and they have to be good ones, you know, or you run out of moves at the end of the year and then you're kind of stuck with your squad and, you know, you're hoping to get to the big game. Exactly. I mean, you got to manage everything really delicately you have to think five moves ahead otherwise when you get to the end of the line like you're saying you're you're really up the creek you mentioned something a little bit earlier though about getting guys from the Pecos League and I know we've had a a plethora of guys on to discuss the Pecos League and we've talked it to death and whatnot and we've had people that weren't Andrew Dunn tell us directly Andrew Dunn's not coming on but Andrew Dunn hasn't told us he's not coming on and we've had a whole back and forth with a lot of guys from each side of the issue so I was just curious to know what your take on the whole Pecos League uh, is. In yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's obviously a, a whirlwind, and there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there, and there's probably a lot of good information too. I mean, Andrew Dunn, um, you know, I've never had any issues with Andrew Dunn, you know, over the years, in the last five years. And, you know, one of the things that I'll point out is I think, I, don't, I haven't looked it up, but I would be, venture to bet that I've signed more guys out of the Pecos League uh, in the last five years at Florence than any other team in the country as far as the top four leagues or the top three leagues now. Um, I, I love getting guys from there. I used it as almost like a minor league system where if those guys are performing well, we, you know, we get, we give them an opportunity if we had guys not performing well. So, I mean, a couple of names I can bring up Marty Anderson, who we got out of there and, you know, the guy got picked up twice for us from to affiliated baseball. Um, he's still playing now. I think he's, uh, going to be in Evansville this year. Uh, Ricky Ramirez we had, he was an all-star last year. And, um, you know, the new manager in Florence, Brian White, just moved him to uh, the American Association. And, you know, we've had a plethora of guys that have come in and been impact guys for us. Brandon Pugh. Um, I mean, I can keep naming guys, Zach Kirby, Eric Glee, some guys that have helped us out tremendously coming from the Pecos League. So I always scoured that league and always used it as a place when we released guys like, hey, go to the Pecos League and if you perform – if you perform there and we have a spot come up at the end of the year, you know, we'll bring you back. We did that with Jackson Owens last year. He didn't, you know, we released him, sent him to the Pecos League, had, you know, good numbers, came back. We did it with uh, Ryan Hill, released him out of spring training last year, a starting pitcher, and he did well in Alpine, I believe is where he was at. And then we brought him back, you know, so <clears throat> I love the Pecos League and what it's about. Um, and I've had guys tell me they wouldn't go play there and I ask them why and you know, they bring up a lot of negative things as far as like the pay and the travel. And, you know, one of the things I'll say to them is like, well, if you don't go play there, you're not going to get paid anywhere to play. So 
even if you get paid very little in the Pecos League or not at all. But it's a place to play, and your numbers count, and it's something I can track and follow. And it's a, if you really want to pursue this career, then you're going to have to grind it out in the Pecos League a little bit and, and do well. I mean, obviously – it's not the ideal situation and neither is being in the frontier league. It's not the ideal situation. The only ideal situation in professional baseball is in the big leagues. I mean, yeah. in all honesty. So um, you have to start somewhere. And I, you know, I always recommended guys to go there. Um, and then the frontier league uh, had a thing, I think started last year, maybe two years ago where, you know, we started banning Pecos league guys unless they came to a, the frontier league tryout um, or went to the California winter league, which, you know, I'm, I'm never a fan of banning players. I think it hurts the players. Um, I'm not sure what the reasons behind any of it are. You know, same with all the winter league things. I don't understand why guys ban guys if they go to this league or that league, you know, because they're all opportunities. And, you know, people can say, hey, you're about making money or this and that. But, I mean, everybody's about making money. And if people are going to pay to do something, then then why not be your thing? You know what I mean? Or their thing or whatever. Yeah. So at the end of the day, for me, it was always trying to find the best players to help us win and you know, and, you know, the only, the only, I guess I had two players throughout five years where I called Andrew Dunn directly to, to sign in Florence and, um, he wouldn't let those guys come. So, um, after those two instances, I always started just dealing directly with the managers and never had any issues getting players there. But, um, you know, Andrew Dunn, you know, he, I've never had any issues with him. Um, he's, he's different guy to talk to on the phone. If you couldn't get him on, that would be great. I don't know that you will, but yeah. if you could, I think it would be, I think it'd be a great conversation and a great show. Um, oh yeah, we'd, we'd love to have him on. I mean, we've been very vocal about saying if he wants to be on, he'll, he, we can get him on. It's just supposedly he doesn't want to. So, I mean, either yeah, way, so. I, I am curious about one thing though, because I know when we talked to, or when, well, and I talked to TJ, he was saying that a lot of times some of the numbers for pitchers, particularly aren't as flattering because of the high altitude that a lot of these teams play in. So I was wondering when you look at like the offensive numbers and the pitching numbers, how much do you have to factor in things like, okay, this particular ballpark's a bit smaller that they normally will play in. This is just like how high above sea level they are. So the ball is going to fly a little bit further. How much do factors like that kind of weigh into your decision to bring a guy in from the, the Pecos league? Those, those are big factors. Th- those are the factors that are, that are easy to read. The other factors that are probably more important than those are how are the team, how are the, how are the games getting scored? So was that a hit or an error? You know, so that is a huge deal for pitchers because of earned run average, right? Yeah. So if there's a couple plays that, you know, are tough to make because you don't know what the playing surface life is like on the field. So there's a lot of, you know, questions. Is it a hit or an error? A lot of times I think those get given hits when they should be errors. So that's where the earned run average drives up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of moving parts when you're looking at Pecos League numbers, especially with pitchers. Um, and I think the hitters, too, because of those are those errors and hits that are the official scorers for those games. That's what's tough. The The great thing for me was because I because I grabbed so many guys out of there, I had a, several connections there that that I trusted when I got information from them about certain guys. And I think. In Florence, we look for a little bit different things than other guys. It wasn't just a numbers thing. It was always numbers are intriguing, but we wanted to find out about the guy himself and mm-hmm. you know how he would fit in our clubhouse because that was the most important to us is to have a very, very uh, tight-knit clubhouse. And um, I think if you ask anybody that played for us over the last five years, they would say 
that our clubhouse was better than anywhere they've ever been. So that was a very important to me. So some of those things, when we would grab guys from that Pecos league, those were more of the questions that I would have opposed to their performance because, you know, obviously if their, if their background was decent and their numbers were decent in that league, you know, I felt that they could do a good job for us because one, if you can compete and play in that league, I think you're doing a lot of things right there because of all the negative things you have to deal with outside of the baseball part of it. So that was, you know, a good indicator in itself. And then obviously the managers and even players, I would ask players that I knew um, that played in that league. Hey, what, what's this, what do you got on this guy on your team here? What, you know, what, what kind of guy is he? And so some of those guys I would trust so that was fortunate that way, but I think it, it developed very quickly for us because we signed so many guys out of there. So it, it helped me a lot. Oh yeah. No, I mean, obviously you got to go directly and by a player by player basis. Cause like you say, uh, the type of person that somebody is that, that can't be reflected in numbers. And when you have, uh, have everybody in generally the same realm if it's between one or two guys and you're debating between them when you actually look at the person that's behind the player that's the the golden mark there if you have a hard worker you have a guy that puts all the work in and their numbers are a little bit below another guy then you want the guy that's going to go out there and going to work hard every night exactly you you hit it on the head i mean that's that's the guy that i want i mean because those those guys are important what you know what people don't realize how important those role players are that are off the bench and um, you know, that pinch hit in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning or that pinch run in the in games where it's a difference between winning and losing the game. You know, everybody wants to be a starter and everybody wants to do this or that. But at the end of the day, those last six outs in the game are the most crucial, whether you're on defense or on offense. So I want the guy that's going to that's put in the work, that's grinded through it and understands the role and and uh, he gives us a big chance to win late. Yeah, no, one of the guys like that that kind of comes to my mind from watching a lot of Sussex County games is a guy like Nick Zaharian, who would almost always seem to come in like seventh inning or later for a pinch hit and then wind up staying in for that. And I can't count how many times he's come out with a big hit when the minors needed it the most. Yeah, Yeah. that's the hardest job in baseball. It really is to be able to sit there for six, seven innings, two hours, and then come off the bench in in a big-time clutch situation and and come through. So, um, you know, it's it's tough. Like in Florence, we talk about all the time when I'd give the the everyday starter guy a day off. It was never a day off. It was always like, hey, be ready to win the game for us in the eighth or ninth inning, you know. And so that mentality I wanted to create early and often, and and we did. And we we utilized those spots and – um, you know, it worked out really well for the guys and, and helped them understand like, hey, you know, if you're a starting center fielder hitting in the three hole for us in Florence here, you get picked up by the New York Yankees. You're probably going to be a fifth outfielder, you know, coming off the bench late in some games to earn another job. So be ready for that. Exactly. I mean, and just keeping the focus there, like you're saying, is what's entirely difficult. I mean, a two year, like a two hour long game now, you've just kind of been sitting there to still be ready to out of the drop of a hat, grab a bat and get into the box is just something that not a lot of people can do. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. Yeah. I mean, some of those other things too, as far as the Pecos league goes, I mean, I know that, you know, TJ talked about, uh, he was always taken care of and the hotels were always paid for, mm-hmm. you know, where he was at and, and that's great. But you, you hear a lot of other stories from the players themselves that, you know, we had to drive, pay for our own gas and, you know, didn't get reimbursed. I mean, there's, there's stories and, um, for every kind of instance in the Pecos league, which makes it great to me. It makes it where, where nothing is ever the same. And you really find out what kind of 
what kind of guy you are and, and what kind of career you want to have in baseball. If you can stick through some of those things that, that happen, I mean, you know, maybe the hotel's paid for, but you gotta have six guys in a room or something like that. But I, you know, I don't know. I never really spent time there or, or saw anything. I never saw a game played in the Pecos league, which, you know, it might be something I do, um, this year if, if, uh, the Giants don't get to play, but I, I think the Pecos league's in a place. So I might venture out and go watch a couple of those games just to see it because I've always loved the Pecos league and I've loved what, what it's about. Um, you know, from a player standpoint. Oh yeah, no, it's an absolute grinder. Like, and if I'm right, they're supposed to start in July, I believe. I think they push back their start date a little bit, and then they're going to run that through July and through uh, August for the most part, at least till around the 15th, if I remember right. But yeah, no, it's a it's a definite grinder league, and that's the one thing, regardless of who we talked to. They say if you go there, you've got to be ready to just grind it out. It's not going to be easy, but if you make it through it, then you're going to like the result on the other end. And and one thing I'm also just kind of curious about, because obviously we've been talking about kind of player procurement, was the kind of relationship that you had with some of the other scouting leagues, uh, uh, namely Baseball Scouting League, and then I know uh, you and Joe Torrey do some stuff together. Yeah, I mean, I ended up the last couple years just doing exclusively things with Joe. Um, and the, and the real reason behind that is because I was able to get on the field and able to work with guys and talk to guys, have relationships with guys. He obviously took care of me. Um, my pitching coach, Brian White, who's now the manager for Florence would come down as well. Uh, and, and, and I felt like from being in the baseball scouting league, which was the South Florida winter league when I was going to it. And then the California winter league, um, the talent level was so much better with Joe and the guys that he had coming in because he had a nice mix of guys that were already signed. And, you know, we were going down there with guys like Tillman Pugh getting ready to play. And, you know, some Florence guys would go down there already signed and, and just getting some at bats and ready to play. And it, it was, it was nice to see. And he had a, the young guys, you know, trying to figure out how to do it. guys. But I got to be a little, a little bit more hands-on. I mean, I, I spent a couple years in the California winter league, um, which was nice, but you're really just you're you're paying to go out there and play some games. Um, you don't get to play nine innings. You don't get to play um, full games typically. I mean, it's I think how I ran my teams when I was out there is the starters would get two at bats, and then I would have the the other guys come in, and then the next day the other guys would start and kind of try to give everybody the the most equal amount of at bats, but it was tough to judge talent because there may be a day where we're facing a guy that's throwing 65 miles an hour. You know, and I've got my my better lineup or the guys that I'm looking at to um, possibly sign and they're facing this guy. So it's hard to make a judgment on what they can really do on certain things like that. Where with Joe, Joe let me kind of set up all my matchups and um, of every player he had running through there. And we had anywhere from 100 to 200 guys running through there at a time. And I could set up games every day with virtually who I wanted to see matched up against who I wanted to see. So that was a big difference. California Winter League's great. I mean, it's all in one location. The weather's great. Um, And the games, I mean, they play the games, and and that's an important part of it. So um, the Baseball Scouting League, I think, you know, to me was was the the lowest as far as Mm talent-wise at the time. Um, I think they've gotten better now. Um, I kind of went away from from their thing a little bit. Um, In all honesty, I had a discrepancy of, of pay for one of my coaches, and um, I don't think that, in my opinion, he didn't get paid what he was what he, he was told he's going to get paid, and mm. you know their opinion was the opposite, which you know we just kind of parted ways that way, and so I, I went strictly with Joe from there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that they're all good though. I think that any one of them you go to, I think Joe's is the best, you know, obviously because I've I've worked yeah. so closely with him the past couple of years, 
And again, I would, I would tell anybody that I talk to that he's going to have the most talented players there. So if you're a manager or you just want to send one of your coaches to one of these things, I would send them to Joe's thing because he has the best guys there, but they're all opportunities. And that's where I think that, you know, this gets misconstrued sometimes. And if a guy has got the money to pay it, then, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter. And a guy wants to pay, it, he wants an opportunity. They're not getting scammed. I don't think anybody gets scammed. Um, and you hear it all the time. You hear, you know, you know, California really says this guy's scamming this guy. Or this guy says the California really scamming this guy. I think Joe's probably even said it too before, but yeah. it's not a scam. It's, it's, there are legitimate opportunities and people do get signed out of there. And then, you know, what I think what other people come back to is, yeah, they get signed and then they get released during spring training. Well, if they were good enough to make the team, they, they, in my opinion, they would have made the team, you know? So, yeah. um, it's, it, it, they get the opportunity and then it's like, a guy gets released out of spring training. He's like, Oh, he just signed me just to fill a spot. Well, I'm here to tell you that independent baseball, those roster spots are very, very important. I mean, people don't realize that we can't just sign 80 guys to come to spring training. I mean, we have a limit on how many guys we can sign and those spots are very valuable. So if we sign a guy and I know that in the California winter league, we had to sign two guys um, as a part of the deal, but those spots are valuable and that's what people don't understand. So most teams do their research and most teams grab good guys out of those leagues and guys that they think are going to compete, at least compete and give themselves a chance to make the club. Um, you know, so I think that th there's just a lot of mis misinformation out there. I think, and it comes from a lot of guys in all honesty that either get released or don't make it. Um, or in the Pecos League, if they had a good year and they didn't get picked up, they have a lot of negative things to say about those things. So I think the guys that, if you talk to the guys that have had success coming out of the, any of those winter leagues or coming out of the Pecos League, they'll tell you that it was great. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, and I think that's with anything. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, obviously, any sort of an opportunity to get a guy signed is going to be a positive thing here because you just need to get in front of eyes. You need to get reps. You need to get numbers. You need to, have something you can show and market yourself with. And obviously the, it's better when you have a fully equal field and you're able to compare, you know, player A versus player B with the same pitcher or a similar type of pitcher. But yep. when you, when you can't get that, you got to try and level it the best you can. And mm -hmm. I, I definitely will agree with, I think a lot of times some of the things we hear that aren't as positive per to uh, one league or to one organization or, or another it's just someone's bad experience and bad experiences seem to travel further than positive ones so. <laughs> yeah yep, you're right yeah at the end of the day I, I would tell anybody that can afford doing any of those things to do do all of them if you can i mean because they're all spread out to where you could do the california winter league you could do the baseball scouting and you could do joe tory's thing I would tell you to do all of them because the more people you can get in front of, the better chance you have. Now, obviously some people can't afford it, which is, you know, understandable, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just how the world is. So if you can only afford one of them, I would tell you to go to Joe Torrey's thing. It's going to be the cheapest and it's going to be a year round thing. And he's, he, he works harder than anybody I've ever seen as far as helping his guys out. Oh, it's incredible absolutely. watching the guy work. Yeah, no, that, um, he's, he's so. off the chain, that guy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's something else. I mean, if you ever get a chance to spend spend a couple of weeks with him, you should do it to see what he what he really does. I mean, the guy is he's incredible watching him work for those guys. Now, some people will say he's not the most professional and he doesn't talk the right way or anything like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, does that really matter? If he's working for the guys and he's get he's pushing his guys and he always is. He's always pushing his guys and he's always honest about them. Mm. Um, you know, I think that that's that's the guy you want in your corner. So, like I said, if I if I had one to pick, I would I would go to his, but. 
if you could do all of them, do all of them. Exactly. You know? I mean, yeah. I mean, that guy, Joe Torre is just, he goes all out. I mean, you could tell. And like you're saying, it, plus a lot of the times what you're seeing on the social media, I know from when we did our interview with him, the social media personality versus the guy we talked to just seemed totally different. I think we mentioned that when we were talking about the interview afterwards. We were like, you know, I was expecting a much different type of person from what I saw on Instagram to that. And I mean, yeah. the, the guy goes all out. I mean, I have nothing bad to say about him. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it really is. If you know the guy, it's hard to say anything bad about him. If if you're going off some things that you've heard again, it's probably some bad experiences or some guys jealous about what he's doing. You know, if you'll hear some bad things about him or like the Pecos League and Andrew Dunn banning his guys or these other guys. And what I don't understand is you're banning players that are going to a winter league, probably just Joe's, but yeah. if they're going to these other ones too, because they're paying to go to this other league. And the, the reason you're banning them is not what you're saying. You're saying it's because the guy's bad or whatever. It's because they're not paying you to go to your league. Because yeah. you have a you have a winter league, so it doesn't make sense. It's it's hypocritical in my opinion. Hmm. Um, but again, like I said, it, those things to me, like I Joe would always talk to me about those things and ask me my opinions, and I really don't have any because I'm I'm there to find the best players possible. Like I could I don't really care who's who's mad at who as far as the winter league stuff. So that's why my perspective is a lot different. Is you know I don't care that Andrew Dunn says that. Black Sox guys or winter league guys are banned. It doesn't matter to me because um, yeah. I'm still going to go see Joe's guys. I'm still going to go. See, I'm going to see the baseball scouting league guys. I think I've signed one of you know Scott Izzelhart's guys mm -hmm. since you know I stopped going to his thing. And obviously, I signed California winter league guys, and I still signed Pecos league guys over the last two years. So, um, you know, those those things don't really matter to me. I just don't understand why it's a problem. They're both running businesses, and you know, Andrew Dunn is banning guys because they're they're paying somebody else instead of paying him and that's what i don't understand you know what i mean exactly i mean for you it's just getting the best players you can for your team and for yes. for them i i guess i could kind of see it because there is a lot of competition for that guy that can only pick to go to one of them but even still i i never got the point of banning a guy i mean particularly from a league entirely it's like well wouldn't you if this guy can make it in your league, wouldn't you want a guy that could be successful in your league? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I, well, I, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's the dollar, it's the money. You know, I think where that's where the frontier league ban for the Pecos league guys came in. I think that, um, the California winter league had something in, in, in that. I really don't know, to be honest with you, what, yeah. what the reasoning behind it was, but there's ways to get around it. Like I said, going to the Frontier League tryout, which is like 60 bucks for a guy and spend a couple of days at a, at a workout, then, you know, if that's what he's got to do, that's what he's got to do. At the end of the day, you're going to have to sacrifice something. So there's always going to be something to sacrifice, whether it's money, whether it's time away from your family, you know, anything like that. Um, you know, even back when I was going to play, I had to, you know, I sacrificed bills and all these things to, to chase a dream that put me in a hole a little bit financially, but this is something that I was going to do. I mean, I got to the point where I, when I was playing, I had enough money for one plane ticket. I just got released. Greg Taggart released me the first yeah. season I played for him out of spring training, told me that I was the best guy for the job at second base, but he was going to go with a rookie because of the classification stuff, which I didn't really understand at the time. But he asked me what I was going to do. And I said, well, I got enough money for one plane ticket. 
and I don't want to go home. So help me find another job or, you know, hang out here until that happens. And, you know, he had me a job lined up for a, for a league out in Arizona at the time. This was 1990, no, 2000, 2001, 2001. Okay. And, you know, he, he said, I got a job for you playing shortstop. And he said, but if you can wait a couple of days, something may open up here. So I said, oh, I'll wait. And I waited a couple of days. He signed me. And then, you know, the rest is history. I was on this club, you know, making an impact for the next, you know, three and a half years for him and creating a good relationship with that guy. But, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice something. And, and that's what players, I think, lose sight of these days is they think they can send an email with a video thinking they should get signed opposed to having to get in front of guys going to places like Joe Torrey's or the baseball scouting or the California winter league and, or tryouts in general. I mean, tryouts, you know, some of them, they'll, they'll always say that they're money makers and they'll always say that they're scams. And yes, they are money makers. They have to make money. They have to, Joe Torrey has to make money to fly guys like myself or Brian white out there and put us up to watch your, watch the guys play. So tryouts are the same thing we have trials in florence they're there to make money for the club because the clubs don't make money but you can get signed out of those it happens all the time we signed several guys out of just one day tryouts jared cheek last year came to one of our open tryouts a guy that played in the cubs organization came to try out didn't think he was going to you know have anything we offered him a job on the spot last year after a one day tryout you know um, there's several guys I can tell you that that happened for in Florence. Now I can I'm only speaking for Florence because yeah. obviously I, I didn't have any, yeah, you know, did. managing, managing anywhere else in the, in, in the frontier league, but we, we legitimately signed, I would probably say 80% of the tryouts we hosted in Florence, we signed at least one guy. Exactly. I mean, yeah, because the tryouts are the best place to view a guy. You can see everything about a guy when you see him in exactly. person that the video yeah. can't show you. Like the video goes, okay, well, I know he has a nice swing. That's all I really know about yeah. him. I could find 15 other guys with the same type of swing. But when yep. you see him in person, it also goes back to the way they handle themselves. And yep. you can see, okay, he's taking this very seriously. It's not, he wants to get his five at bats, 10 at bats, play his three innings and then go home he's taking this extremely seriously he's showing up he's doing all the little things in a tryout where he has no guarantees and again if you have someone doing that you want them on your team yeah you're exactly right i mean it's it really is it comes down to you know in a video you can send a highlight reel of your best swings of your college season and there's going to be several of them you know but what about the bad ones what about the 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 clutch moments you know you sending me videos I, i there's a guy that sent me videos last year of him pitching in some games. And uh, I remember every score that came up on in his games where they were up like eight to 10 runs every time he was in the game out of the bullpen. And yeah. those, to me, those are, those are pretty easy times to pitch to show me some that yeah. you, it's, it's a tie ball game in the ninth or tie ball game in the sixth when you come in, you know, whatever. So those are, those are the things that people don't get to see when they send the videos and the emails and, and those things. So be seeing a guy in person, you know, we always we always told a guy if we liked what we saw in a video or we liked what we saw at a tryout, maybe we have him come back and, and face some of our guys for a couple day private workout, you know, that was for free um, just to see him in action. And most guys would do it, but the guys that wouldn't come do that, you know, they get released from let's say a guy got released from Sussex last year and he wanted to come play in Florence. And I would always offer him, sure, come work out for a couple days and we'll let you know. But you know, some of those guys would do it and other guys, no, no thanks. No thanks. So again, you're, you're sacrificing a little bit to, to come see us. Cause in Florence, we always wanted to see a guy 
in person before we pull the trigger on them. Yeah, I mean, it's just the smart way of doing business. I mean, if you yeah. can't see them in person, then obviously you can't tell as much about them. And I mean, going back to what you were saying about the one guy that kept coming in low leverage situations, I mean, when you just see the tape and it's like, okay, well, it's just low leverage situations, you also can't really tell the kind of opponent they're playing against. You don't know how difficult they were what players are better than others on that team. So it's like, okay, you came in when they were, you were up by eight runs and you got the bottom half of the lineup. Like, um, that's exactly. not, it's not impressive that you got them out. Yeah. And it's not, not to say you're not any good either. Yeah, exactly. If that's all you're showing me. Then that's tough. It's tough for me to take, get a good read on. Exactly. You, you need to put yourself in the best position. So that way the people that need to see you can see you. And exactly. I, yep. And I think, um, one thing I wanted to just touch on before moving on to another topic was just some of the misconceptions you see in independent league baseball, because we just spent some time talking about how you have to make sacrifice, how you have to do some things. And I think there are enough people out there that don't truly get the whole concept behind independent league baseball or don't fully understand what goes into playing in the independent leagues. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the biggest misconception to me is is the money part of it because it is professional baseball. So a lot of guys think that they're going to come in and make, you know, make enough money to really take care of their bills and, and things like that each month. And that's not the case. I mean, it's, you know, in the frontier league, I think the league minimum is still 600 a month, which doesn't sound like a lot um, for anybody. And people are thinking you're crazy doing that, but, in Florence, again, I can only speak for Florence, but we had host families for guys, and our host families were phenomenal in Florence. Probably the best in the league. I would say they're the best in the league um, at taking care of our guys, you know, as far as having food available to them that they didn't have to pay for, a nice place to sleep, um, and, you know, and those things. And that in itself is worth, you know, a $1,000 a month right there, yeah. you know, just for the room and board, really. Um, and then our ownership did a great job at feeding our guys uh, before and after games. I mean, after games was was good, but before games was better than most as far as it wasn't just peanut butter and jelly. So, uh, but I think when guys um, think that they're coming into professional baseball, they're thinking it's going to be nice meals before the games, nice meals after game everywhere you go. Um, the clubhouse water is always going to be hot, you know, and you're going to make $3,000 a month to, Make sure, make sure you're taking care of your cell phone and your car payment and your apartment back home, you know? So I think that's a big misconception uh, for a lot of guys. And once they realize, you know, hey, I'm only getting offered $800 a month, I'm worth more than this. But, you know, it's 100%. Everybody's worth more than that. Everybody that plays is worth more than that. But what people don't understand is there's a salary cap. And, you know, if I pay you $1,000 a month and I can't pay the guy that's played for me for six years and been an all-star for five years, I can't pay him give him his bump and you're just a rookie, you know, so you've got to earn some of that stuff. And I think that that's where people don't understand. You have to earn what you get in independent baseball. And if you're not good for a couple of weeks, you're not going to be there long. Exactly. So you got to come in ready to go and you have to pr produce and perform at a high level right off the bat. Exactly. I mean, I think a lot of people just see professional baseball. And then like you're saying, they have this image in their head of what professional baseball is. And meanwhile, a lot of these teams, they're just barely getting by. I mean, it's you're not really having a lot in the reserves that you can spend on a lot of stuff. They make enough to survive. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So like you're saying, there's a reason why the salary cap exists. It's not because they want to be paying these guys that little or that much. It's just that's all they can afford to do. 
Exactly. And, and most teams are losing money. I mean, um, most of the owners are, are guys that are, or women that, that love the sport of baseball. And it's, it's something that, you know, they want to keep going. So most teams don't make money. I mean, Florence barely, barely makes a profit the past couple of years because of, I think Josh Anderson did a phenomenal job as, as a marketing guy, as our GM, um, selling the team and selling the stadium and, you know, doing those things. It was, it's, it was pretty awesome to see in Florence some nights we'd have two or three different promotions going on and it felt kind of hectic, but at the end of the day, it was, it was pretty, pretty phenomenal what Josh did um, and what he still does for Florence. And as far as making revenue come in um, because, you know, players come in and they have a, you know, a, a button falls off their Jersey and they're like, why can't I get this fixed right now? Those things that, I mean, it didn't really happen in Florence because we, we explained those things early on, but a lot of teams had those kind of issues and, you know, hey, you come in the clubhouse and there's only, there's only peanut butter and no jelly, you know, guys get upset and things, but you can't do it that way. If you do it that way, you're not going to be around baseball very long because, you know, in the affiliates, you know, I haven't been, uh, haven't been to the affiliates yet, you yeah. know, just cause we got cut short in spring training, but a lot of those are the same, you know, that's what people don't understand in, in rookie ball and low A and even probably high A, the, you know, the standards aren't, aren't real high i mean you don't really make a lot of money until you're on a 40-man roster in a big big league club you know so yeah. that's what people don't really understand i think and that's independent baseball is even even more so um they just don't understand what it what it takes to actually survive and perform because there's a lot more released guys in independent ball than there is coming out of affiliated ball because like I said, two two weeks is about the limit for for most teams. If you're struggling for two weeks, you're probably not going to be around much longer. Exactly. I mean, like going back to what you're saying about buttons falling off jerseys. I remember towards the end of last season, the Can Am, I was watching a game and I just see guys' pants would be ripped halfway down their leg, and I was just thinking, wow, they're that hard pressed right now. They can't even afford to get another pair of pants for this guy. Exactly. He's, it's it's tough. It really is, and that's what you know, the average fan or most fans don't, don't get, and the ownership gets it. And they, the ownership in Florence, you know, before uh, the new ownership took over this year with, with the Brown family, they understood all that. But at the end of the day, it's like that money's coming out of their pocket. And, you know, we got to figure out what's most important is, is a guy's hole in his pants more important than, you know, having baseballs for the game, you know, that exactly. those are the decisions that are made. So obviously the baseballs come first and those are expensive. So, I mean, it's it, a lot of people don't understand uh, where that, what the money is. And, you know, we sold, I think five or six players last year to affiliate baseball. Mm. Um, and I think the same year before, and those, those, we get $5,000 from each one of those for, for, um, from major league baseball. And, you know, it's easy to say, oh, we should be able to get new uniforms because I even did it. I said, hey, yeah. let's get some new uniforms because that was money we weren't planning on. Or, yeah. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that money is going to go to somewhere else that has been depleted for the season because of unforeseen circumstances, you know. So everything kind of helps each other out and those little bumps help out for sure. So um but it, it's a grind It's a grind from an ownership standpoint everybody's grinds different you know the owner's grinds different than the gm and the those grinds are different than the manager and obviously they're different than the players so um independent baseball is an is an animal and you have to really love the game of baseball to be a part of it and spend some time in it 100 percent, and that's that's just some of the things that people just don't get they just see professional and they 
they have their assumptions and well the more you listen the more you learn the more you're like it's it's professional baseball but that doesn't mean it's the way you think it is but but i i do want to touch on the fact that you're now with affiliated baseball you're with san jose you know and just kind of walk us through all of that yeah so it was um it was pretty crazy i mean you know after the season this year we were I think what six outs away from from the championship, maybe nine outs from winning the championship in the Frontier League, end up losing. Um, you know, it was tough, tough year. I mean, we felt like we were the best team. You know, I think we outplayed them in that series. You know, they just they got lucky, and, and that's what happens sometimes. And so it, it hurt a little yeah. bit, and um, finally got home, and um, you know, got to where I was relaxing, and, and then the Giants uh, reached out to me, player development guy. Um, Kyle Haynes and I actually coached him a long time ago my first year with the Railcats and uh he's now the, the player development guy for the Giants and we just got to talk a little bit about you know he's trying to revamp um revamp the Giants coaching yeah. staffs and wanted to see if there was any interest in my part and I said yeah I mean I would be interested in it um the biggest thing for me was it, it couldn't feel like a step down and yeah. I know that's hard to say you know being a fourth coach on a rookie ball team in the Giants has got to be better than being in Florence. But I have to tell you that, you know, in Florence was Florence is very special to me and, and I loved it there and it was going to take quite a bit to get me out of there. So I, you know, I told him straight up that, you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a, a high A job or better. Um, if it's high A, you know, it's gotta be, you know, I, I would probably, I might do a low A job as a manager, but, you know, it's got to feel like a promotion to me and my family um, yeah. for where I'm at in my life and, and what I've done in my career. Because to be honest with you, I would be perfectly content spending the rest of my life as an independent manager because I did love what I what I was doing. Mm. Um, but uh, but I wanted to see, you know, how good I can be. And yeah. so that's why it was intriguing to me is let's see. Let's see if I can do well in affiliate ball and maybe make it to the big leagues as a coach because I didn't make it as a player. So obviously I felt like I've done everything I can do in Florence um, as far as winning and yeah. producing a good environment and a culture there that's that's been great. So I felt that maybe it is time for me to give it a shot. And, um, you know, he they brought up a low A managing job or a high A managing job. And I said, you know what? I said, if it's either one of those or higher, then, you know, then I'll, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a couple weeks long conversations. You know, every few days, um, they flew me out for an interview. I had interviewed with uh, three or four different guys mm-hmm. um, in early November, and uh, you know, and then it took another couple weeks for them to make a decision. And, I, and they obviously were doing their homework on me and what I what I was about, and what I was doing, because I've never been an affiliated ball as a player or a coach. So. Yeah. Um, it was obviously San Jose is a high profile club for, for their organization because it's so close to the big league club and a lot of the top prospects play there. So that was going to be a, a tough decision for them for sure. But, um, they thought about it and offered me the job and, you know, I jumped on it and, um, uh, I've been very excited, uh, you know, about what's happened so far, you know, what we've got to accomplish. I got to go to a, a three week little, mini camp in January with some guys got to get acclimated a little bit and it was phenomenal to be around. And then, uh, obviously we started spring training and it's been, it's been great because I've, in all honesty, the best part yeah. about it is I've been able to free my mind up to be strictly just baseball opposed to having to figure out who's going to stay in this host family's house and, you know, what his salary is going to be. And, 
you know, what the roster looks like and all these, I get to just, they're giving me a team and I get to, I get to coach and I get to be hands-on and be a, just a coach. And that's, that's what I'm most looking forward to. And, you know, hopefully this uh, coronavirus thing settles down here pretty soon so we can get on the field and I can really get to see what I'm all about. Oh, definitely. We need baseball back, but you, I definitely see what you're saying because stability definitely does have value in and of itself. But when you have an opportunity, you have to decide whether you want to take it or are you okay with living saying, okay, I, I passed up on my shot here. And when an opportunity like that comes along, you can't wind up wondering what could have been. You have to at least give it a shot at least once. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's one thing too. Like I never, I never applied for an affiliated job um, because I didn't know, one, if I was – if I was ready and two, I didn't think I would even have an opportunity to, because I never played affiliated baseball, you know? So, um, and I was enjoying, I loved Florence. I loved what I was doing. So, um, and I think a lot of guys get stuck in a place where they're comfortable because that's kind of what, you know, it could be looked at for me in Florence. It was five years there and starting to get comfortable. Maybe, you know, I started losing a few more games each year because I am comfortable with where I'm at. So I wanted to, I want to see how good I can really be. And I think that's where players, if I give any advice to any players listening out there, that's, that's what you want to do. You want to see how good you can be. So you need to continue challenging yourselves, you know, not just be the all-star on, on a Pecos league team. See if you can get out there and, and do it at the frontier league level or at the American association level and, and just see how really, how good you can really be. And, and you're going to have to sacrifice some things. So one thing I didn't touch on, you know, when I took the job in Florence, I was a high school teacher, um, <laughs> You know, making 55 grand. I was the head baseball coach making 55 grand a year, full insurance benefits and uh, just recently married. And uh, when I took that job, my wife was pregnant uh, with our boy Jackson, took that job with Florence. And she was she said, yes, you know, I obviously had to ask her permission and she's all about what I'm trying to accomplish. And when I took that job with Florence, that job, my first year in Florence was 30 grand. No, no insurance benefits. So I went from you know, make, making a nice salary to support my family to, you know, we're having to make some sacrifices. So those are the types of sacrifices that people are going to have to make being a player, being a coach, whatever it is, pursue something great, pursue something that you want to, you know, your dream, so to speak. So, um, and that was a huge sacrifice for us and our family. Now we're in a great spot. So, but it was all because I wanted to be in professional baseball and the frontier league, I played in it. And I had that opportunity. I'm like, you know what? I can, I can, I can do something with this. So there was no fear as far as failing or anything like that. I was going to succeed and I was confident what I was doing. So any advice out there that I can give to any young coach or player is don't be afraid to fail. Just, just, you know, see how good you can be. Exactly. I mean, you gotta, you gotta try, you gotta take risks. And the people that take risks are the ones that wind up succeeding. I mean, you can't just always play it safe. There comes a time where you have to say, all right, I, I need to make a decision. I need to take a chance. Try. Yeah. All right. So I just want to wrap up the interview with one last thing, because I did see you're involved with this Alpha Evolve. I'm just curious as to kind of what's the deal with it? What is it? What do you guys do? That whole process there. Well, Alpha Evolve is uh, something that myself, Chad Rhodes, who is a former pitching coach in the Marlins organization, and uh, Cameron Monger, who uh, played for me in Fort Worth one year and in the United League, and he's uh, played in the Frontier League a little bit, and he owns a, a hitting facility with uh, 
with the form or the current manager with the with the freedom brian white yeah. us three sat down and you know this was several years ago this is right before i got the florence job so i was looking at 2014 maybe 2013 is when we started this thing all right but basically uh, we called it mental conditioning and that was kind of when mental skills in baseball and sports athletics in general were starting to kind of get big and that was something we wanted to get jump in and get on but it's kind of been at a standstill in all honesty because yeah. I got the job in Florence and obviously we talked a little bit about, you know, the daily routine for a manager in independent baseball. It just doesn't leave a whole lot of time for anything else. Um, even in the off season, I mean, I'm trying to find players every single day. So yeah. Chad got the job with the Marlins that same year. Um, and Monger was still trying to play. So we kind of put it on the back burner. It's still there. The, the website's not active yeah. right now, but, um, here pretty soon we're going to, we're going to get that up and running again. And, and, um, you know, but basically just dealing with athletes, uh, small businesses mentality. And like I said, we call it mental conditioning opposed to mental skills because, you know, it's like a muscle in your body. You have to continue to condition it to, to perform at a high level. So, um, I, I utilize some of the stuff that, that we had on that website and we, that we did with, uh, you know, either companies, businesses, or, um, athletes, but I utilize that in Florence and I'm going to utilize some of that in, uh, in San Jose as well. Exactly. I mean, mental toughness is definitely an aspect, especially in athletics where you got to be able to persevere. And as we spent a lot of time over the past hour of this interview, just talking about how you have to be willing to endure, grind it out, make sacrifices. And that's a testament to mental toughness. Uh, there's some yeah. people that can do it, some that can't. So it's definitely, yeah, and, that's, and that's where the name LC Evolve came from. It's stemmed from, you know, we want to we want to create alphas hmm. you're the alpha male or the alpha female like you're you're the best but you're always you always have to evolve to stay on top so you know that's where the name came from alpha evolved yeah i mean complacency you know it, it breeds lots of results but right yeah. all right so i think we're kind of just about wrapping this up here i'm going to give you the floor to promote anything you want or summarize anything you want anything that uh, you want to get out that maybe we didn't cover now's your time to do so no, I mean, I think, I think we covered a lot. I mean, uh, you know, I'll be more than happy to come back on. If you guys have some listeners that had some questions for me, um, at any time, man, I enjoy talking baseball and, and my story, I guess a little bit. Um, and hopefully it helps, helps some people out, but I don't, you know, really have anything to promote and I'm just uh, very appreciative of you guys having me on. Uh, it was our pleasure having you on more than welcome to be uh, on again. We'll have to schedule another time to have you on because I really enjoyed talking with you. I appreciate that. Anytime, man. Let me know. Yep. Thank you for coming out, man. You're right. So once again, I'd just like to thank Dennis for coming on the show. Once again, I really appreciated him doing the interview. At first, I wasn't really sure what we were going to talk about. But then as I started doing the research and digging into everything and talking with him a little bit off air, it became very clear what the interview needed to be about and what would really be interesting to the general audience. And I think we accomplished that goal in that interview. And once again, uh, it was just a tremendous, tremendous uh, interview. I enjoyed doing it a lot. And uh, as I told him, and as I'll say again on air, I really enjoyed it. And I, I'm more than happy to have him back on whenever he wants. Uh, like I said, I it, he has so much information and just he does such a great job of conveying that information too, which is something that I think a, not only a lot of people have a hard time with, but especially in kind of an interview setting, even though this is extremely informal, you know, it still can be a little daunting for some people. And 
he's not phased by it. Not that I'd expect anyone to be. Like I say, he just does such a great job communicating the points he wants to make. And I think that really does make for good listening. So again, uh, thank him for greatly coming on. And he definitely shared some insight into more or less the behind the scenes action than I necessarily would know about. Like the transaction limit, I remember hearing about it, but I didn't understand how much of a role it was or how much of a concrete rule that was. And knowing that it is uh, a hard and fast rule definitely does make me think more about what goes into managing it and seeing how much that even on these levels of affiliated ball that we like to think are you know a higher level you know we see the Pecos League and the Pacific Association as kind of uh, minor leagues for the independent leagues almost same thing with the Empire League falling into that grouping and then you'd think of okay well when the Can-Am was around they're up there the Frontier League's there, the American Association, Atlantic League, certainly we have this high opinion of those leagues. And to see that even in those leagues, a GM is, well, it could be an individual person, but it could also more than likely be the manager of the team. They're managing both on and off the field. And that's an element that I never really put too much thought into. I knew it happened, but I never really understood how much that weighs on the person itself and i think part of what was really telling to me is when he said yeah part of the best or one of the best parts of now taking this job in san jose is the fact that now i could just focus on the baseball element i don't have to worry about creating a roster i don't have to worry about you know running promotions i don't have to worry about handling all the transactions i don't have to worry about making sure everything in the ballpark's running right i just can i just have to focus on creating a lineup card going out sending the best nine guys into the field and getting the best results possible that's that part i think really it says something to me that and it reinforces that what we've been hearing for so long that is the indie ball grind is existing for not just players but also for the staff everyone involved is part of this grind and that nothing is truly easy so i look forward to discussing the interview more with my co-host when we do get uh, an opportunity to record this second part uh like i said before the interview aired uh, i'm going to kind of give you guys a brief rundown of what the rest of the week looks like here so uh, the plan here is to release this half of the episode on Saturday, as usual. Uh, you'll have the interview to listen to. That should This episode should run to about an hour and 10 minutes or so, maybe hour 15 minutes, depending on how long my ramble here goes on for. Uh, the next episode should just be a part two of episode 59. We're going to cover uh, a battery of topics, uh, namely that the American Association finally delayed officially. Uh, Gateway dropped their dropped a letter that had a lot of good information on it. I discussed both of these in depth on Twitter and on Instagram. You can find both of those, Indie Ball Pod on, on Twitter and Indie Ball Report on Instagram if you want to find my thoughts on that. More so, though, we also have an update on the MILB news that we're going to cover, as well as some future plans for expansion in both the Frontier and Atlantic League, mainly talking about Gastonia and seeing what's going on that front, and then the Frontier League not putting a bid in on Loeb Stadium in Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, We have thoughts on that, so we'll discuss all that next time, as well as Sioux Falls potentially being in danger of losing the Canaries, or at least as rumored to be. So we'll have a whole battery of topics like that. It'll be a really good show to put out in the middle of next week. I am trying to get the, that episode recorded sooner than later. 
and then as needed just update of more information that comes along because I don't want it to be terribly too dated but it is still good information to put out that's about all there is really to it so this interview will come out today and then you will have the next episode out look towards Tuesday or Wednesday of next week an update on the YouTube series too because I know there are some people wondering what's happening with that seeing as I started the ball rolling on that thing in the beginning of the month and now we're at the end of the month uh the plan for that is to finish writing the script and the notes and everything regarding that today and then tomorrow getting all the clips and stuff needed and recording the voiceover for that so hopefully this week that'll come out i'd look towards the end of this week however again with dates like youtube videos and whatnot all of that is flexible so keep that in mind too so again next episode we're going to talk about the american association delaying their start the gateway letter that came out some expansion news across the major independent leagues and some updates in current expanded markets an update to the MILB news and some other fun things and anything else that comes up in the meanwhile. So with all that said, it's time to go to plugs. If you want to find us on Twitter, like I just said, you can find us at IndieBallPod. You can find us on Instagram at IndieBallReport. You can find us on YouTube at IndieBallReportPodcast there. All our videos are there. However, we also have articles, too, on our website, www.indieballreport.com. All of the content we put out there, show notes, podcasts, articles, graphic projects, as well as videos are all on our website. Best place to find it all is just to go right there. You can find it all there. Uh, the show is available on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, and just about anywhere you can find podcasts. So be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to those. I'll cap off this episode with our traditional, if you have anything else left to add, now's the time to add it. I will add one last send-off here. Thank you again to everyone working to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. And to anyone listening, please do not drink bleach. That will not help you. Although it will prevent you from getting COVID, it will unfortunately kill you. So please avoid consuming disinfecting products. I feel like that doesn't need to be said, but it feels like it needs to be said at the same time. That much being said, and with nothing else left to add, thank you again to Dennis Pelfer for coming onto the show. And until next time, don't forget to play 